Hey, what's up, guys? Lucas Burnley here, along with my co-host, TJ Schwartz. You are listening to the Edge and Flow podcast. Um, we're actually hitting uh, hitting our timeline again on this one, so that's pretty yeah. exciting. Yeah, back um, in the rhythm. Back in the rhythm. I'm getting ready to leave town again tomorrow. Um, things are still mm-hmm. <laughs> moving pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, haven't caught up in a little while. Tell us, uh, tell us what you got going on, TJ. Well top of mind this morning i've machined the turn fixture so we have a fully operational fixture there's still some programming to do on the actual machining of the knife but that's not too difficult um water uh surface grinding is basically what we're waiting on and i'm told by ron that it's probably about an hour and a half from now that he'll have the first table load off Ooh, nice. So after the pod, I'm probably going to run over to his place, get him, um, do a little programming. It's possible I could spin that machine up and start on him today just to start to flush it out. But for sure, tomorrow uh, we are machining turns. Dude, this is the rapidest production, rapidest, <laughs> most rapid production cycle I think I've, I've ever experienced. Well, I'm having fun with it. It does, uh, it does plug into the system pretty well there's a few little the fixture is different in a couple of ways yep generally the, the locating features is is a kind of a different route but it because i, I did weird designy stuff that's not yeah. optimized for machining uh yeah i would say so. it's 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 not optimized for work holding i'll say for that. work holding fair yeah right but doesn't I, but, affect machining does yeah. affect work holding yeah so i, I think we got it figured out because it I, looked I, like I, you just sent me you sent me photos and it looks like a pretty solid solution um all I, I know the, is we put a, I have the 3d print of the turn and yep. I put it on the fixture to see just how, if my pin locations were, were going to be correct and it yep. did feel solid. So, okay. um, it's, you know, the, the, the actual like success here will be when we get real knives off and that's yet to be seen, but I think it's going to work. Dude, that sounds, it's going to yeah. happen pretty fast. It's very mm-hmm. exciting. I'm excited. It's okay. going to be a sweet one. Got to start building a little hype for it. Dropping yep. some photos. Yeah. Yep. And I'm going to start probably posting videos of, uh, machining it ooh, and start nice. and start doing kind of a little bit of a rollout of some, some concept ideas and where we'll go with the sheath and stuff. So nice. Yeah. Right. We haven't really, we haven't dialed sheath yeah. yet. We still got to yeah. play with that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, nice, man. uh, so yeah, so that's, that's top of mind. Um, but that's kind of what I've been working on in the margins. Uh, otherwise just working on shipping a bunch of knives, you know, Overland sports and overlands and confidants and all that. Nice. So are you between, so if machines tied up on turn, you guys are through machining processes on the other knives and you're just in assembly and shipping or are you also um, running parts? I hold on one second. I've got a visitor. I see a baby. Hey, hey Delta. I'm Hi, recording. Delta. Can you, can you go find mom? <laughs> Here, let me, let me pause. <laughs> <laughs> we got visitors. Sorry, uh, real quick intermission there. Had a couple of kids break and enter. So. <laughs> Got that taken care of. Good stuff. So good. Uh, but uh, whew, where were we at? All right. Oh, yeah. We were, yeah, we're talking machining. We're talking where you're at on the other knives. Yeah. So they're all just in, in production role now. And so I'm in a new uh, kind of business model of smaller batches more frequently okay. on, on all models. And so basically at all times there's there's knives moving um and so we're machining turns coming up real quick and then pretty much right on the heels of that'll be more so it's 
kind of just off and on with a style, just these small batches coming in and coming out. What are you um, considering small batch? Like uh, 25 to 50 okay. per model. Uh, per model. I, I want to get at least 100 going to heat treat at once to Got just it. make that economical. Yep. Um, but per model, like 25 to 50 as a as a like bite size amount that's going at a time coming yep. off the side. And so as far as a change, like initially... Well, it makes sense too, because you had like a single model. So single model, you were running a bigger batch Mm -hmm. and then sending it all off, waiting for it to come back or starting the next thing. So now you're basically, you're just keeping consistency in, in production all at all times. Yeah. It's, it's partly necessitated, like you said, because of various models, um, not having just one, but another thing is like now that I have Dalton, so before I would. I would have a certain amount of orders I'm trying to fill. I build those and a bunch more and try to build myself a buffer Yep. so that when they go to heat treat and they come back for finishing, I don't run out too quickly when I'm shipping initial orders and new ones coming right. in. And so it's kind of like a large inchworm kind of feel. And now because I have him and there's more processes happening simultaneously, we can do smaller batches. And right. like I said, it's like a, a smaller inchworm. So it used to be like if you were ordering at the exact right time and you wouldn't necessarily know you could be on the very front end of a batch or the back end and the bigger the batch the longer the gap and right. so it was it, i'm i'm not necessarily shortening the lead time massively i'm just making it more consistent so that whether you order like a month ago or this month that should be roughly the same lead time um, right so that's kind of where we're headed that's pretty cool i would think like i mean on the financial side too it kind of does two things which is like theoretically smaller outlays of cash each time, but then also not waiting for money to come back in that ideally that would be the case. But the sad thing is I still have to order a bunch of steel. So these batches are getting separated out after. And so it's really just the heat treat. That's like, and so I wish it did benefit on the cash flow side. I don't know that it does a whole lot, but I think it just, it's a more efficient way to do it. Also is, is definitely like a protection as far as like mistakes, like you lose a batch or something goes wrong with heat treat. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I've done like two, 300 knives before and send them to heat treat. And that's nerve wracking. It's nerve wracking. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot that can go wrong. Huge torpedo coming your way. Okay. Yeah. I hadn't even heard that you had like modified that. So that's very cool. It's, It's funny. I think a lot of, times as we're looking at manufacturing like you look at like what as you scale like methods of scaling as it relates to the size of your scale Mm -hmm. and it seems like you and dalton that like opened up this potential and it's like you you didn't try to like fight to hold like no this is the way i do it i'm gonna keep doing it this way you just let it kind of like morph and adapt Mm -hmm. right that's pretty cool yeah, yeah, it's working good. And that does bring up a point with the turn. So like in the knife in the past knives that have come out, I've gone gone pretty much wide open and done yep. the huge batch method at the beginning to just like kind of serve like the initial demand. I don't think it as I get more models going, I don't think it splices well yeah. to had to do that because it displaces the other models too much. Yep. And so with the turn, it's going to start out in the smaller batch model. Yep. And that's what I'll be able to sell. Like, and so it may be that's like intermittent availability for a little while until the demand stabilizes to where it does become just a normal part of production. I feel like Um, you probably know what my thought on that is going to be. Yeah, I think so. That I think is a method. It sounds like a necessity, but, but I actually find that like a much more preferable method. 
mm-hmm. right? Because I think I think a lot of brands and a lot of products like do come out with a ton of availability, and I think it damages it. I I, I don't yeah. know that it damages it, but what I do think it it affects is like the potential kind of like stickiness of the product. Yeah. I, I just yeah. really like and, and it. I think that's coming from the custom side where like we don't have the ability to make a bunch of something. So it's like a lot of times you'll do something that's popular, but you only have a few. Mm-hmm. Then you make a few more and it lets the, like the demand grow organically. So like, even though this is pushing into like more production numbers, it really maintains that feeling. I actually, yeah. I love that. I and think it's great. I'm, I'm happy about it. I agree with you. And I'm also happy because y- this is going to be seen by some eyeballs on your side and your customers that haven't seen my stuff. And they're right. already kind of pre understanding of the way these availabilities are on drops are. Yep. And like my customers, I don't know that they're all trained up on that. So I might have to in like, when I write an email out, I might have to do a pretty good job of like describing that, like, just so you know, I'm not like intentionally bottlenecking these, but right. it's splicing into bigger production. So it may not be that like a week after we launch it, they'll still be there, but I don't yeah. know. It's yeah. just an open-ended thing, but it it's somewhat capped. There's um, definitely growing pains there. Like yeah. if we make these and they sell out, that's like the immediate question is like, well, why didn't you make more? And that, yeah. I think a lot of times people are so used to like mass manufacturing that that, that seems like a relevant question or that like, yeah, you're intentionally bottlenecking. It's like, no, no, you just have multiple products mm-hmm. and you don't have the bandwidth to like necessarily satisfy demand. Mm-hmm. Nor is that always the goal from a standpoint of like risk or anything else, like yeah. to be able to truly satisfy demand means that your manufacturing capacity has to go up exponentially. Yeah. 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 And dangerously. Yeah. Possibly. So that's fun. That serves like a secondary purpose here too, which is like, it is, there's kind of like a training component of just like experiencing, like, like you said, your normal customer base is not, that is, has not been the sales method. Mm -hmm. Right. And so at least you, I think that's the fun side of some of these collaborations is not only are you getting to have some crossover of customer base, like, the conversations, the fun product, but you also are actually bringing in different business practices. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. And, and like I said, the, the business is changing as more models come in. Um, right. The process being streamlined around new products hitting the catalog is something that's top of mind. Like I said, cause like I launched the sport and it was only the third model and it fit, fit in pretty, pretty good. And I, I just opened it up. And I had like a, an, a relative idea of where I would cap it. So I, if I really got buried, but I didn't really think I would hit that and I didn't. And, and so that was fine. But then it displaced a lot of energy and a lot of other products. Right. And I wouldn't say that it delayed other orders really that much. Cause like I said, I've been, I was kind of diving into that new knife while Dalton was kind of maintaining some other knives. But what it felt like is like after that huge wave is satisfied, you almost have like this weird moment where you're like, okay, this big surge is behind us. And then it's like, there's almost like a hangover feeling of like, okay, oh, yeah. where, what was I doing? Like, where, yeah. where are we? You know? And I don't like the feeling of a roller coaster in business. I mean, it's just never good. Um, so a, a more like slow burn release, I think it gives me more time to just think and strategize as opposed to 
climb a mountain and then slide down the other side and then have to come up with something new. You know what I mean? Dude, we, I mean, we've talked around that with shows mm-hmm. and, and like for so many makers that like you build, 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 build to the show, you do the show and that's that you just hit the other side. You mm-hmm. go back to your shop and all the work that you started is done and, or like you don't have anything like midline. And so yeah. I intentionally started leaving pieces at various stages so that when I come home from a show, I've, I've got like something that I can kind of on ramp myself yeah. back in. And then exactly. after a couple of days you, or, or a week, you usually are kind of back into the flow. Exactly. But yeah, you get that like hangover, just mm. totally drained. Yeah. You yeah. know? So, so yeah, moving forward, I'm, I'm feeling good about that. That's, that's what we're doing. So nice, man. I do, I do want to get, um, one of these sent out to you once I get them back from heat treat. I want to cool. see what you think. We'll, we'll, we'll touch base. We'll talk about sheets. Nice. And then, uh, the other thing that is still open-ended is the laser engraving of my logo and your, yep. and your design logo. Yep. And, uh, and, and that it's going to be a little bit different because, I noticed the actual flat above the bevel is small enough that it may actually not accommodate any engraving. Yep. So it might be a bevel engraved yeah, I logo. We, I think we could come up with something cool. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it has to be. I one thing I was thinking was like we could. You know, I'm gonna save that. Yeah. Okay. Bevel bevel engraving definitely works. Yeah. And that might for this model. I was gonna say we could go around a hole, which would be super yeah. cool. Except we don't have holes. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. Not like symmetrical. Yeah. <laughs> like not round. Not round. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Speaking of shows, I just got back from uh, the Pacific Northwest Custom Invitational, um, which is put on by Nick Rolf and Billy Cho. Um, kind of like what I would consider like the beginning is like an enthusiast show to begin, right? Kind of like a meet and greet that scaled. And it was in Seaside, Oregon. Um, dude, it was super fun. Talk about like a who's who's list of makers um i don't know if you looked at the roster i did looked amazing dude yeah michael walker had a knife on the table don't see like, those very often dude that is well he doesn't we i think we've talked about this a little bit like in the in the knife world like you still have your paths and so there's not a like with certain makers there's not crossover like michael walker is not doing the same shows that like i am doing Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe with the exception of like tactical invitational, um, but they're doing like art knife invitational and like these shows that are geared specifically towards like the higher yeah. price point work, like yeah. kind of like the $20,000 and up crowd. Multi-month knives. Yeah. yeah. Multi-month knives. You show up yeah. with two knives or one knife yeah. or, um, so yeah, that was, that was really fun. Um, I got to spend, I got to spend a significant amount of time with him. We're both from New Mexico. I'd been to his shop, but I haven't like, I haven't really talked with him very much. And, uh, he, he has some new designs coming out with CRKT, which is very cool. He was going to be up there. And so CRKT asked if I wanted to just sit in studio and have like a knife guy conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like pretty cool peak experience, man. Like, you know, like these guys, you don't always get that like focus of attention. Like even if I were to see him at like tactical invitational, I'm not going to get an hour and a half just to sit and like rap with them. Yeah. You know, and like ask questions. Um, so that was, that was super fun. Um, I don't know when CRKT is releasing that, but it's a pretty fun. I look forward to that. Yeah. That's fun. Um, 
And then, yeah, man, just, it was nice. Got to catch up with a bunch of people, kind of mm. the same flow. Didn't have a table at this show. Um, but yeah, all good stuff happens. <laughs> stuff I, is happening. I missed out on the show, but I did get a consolation prize because I was really bummed about missing out on hanging out with other makers and yeah. catching up. Well, Jesse Jarus, I have been mispronouncing that for we 10 all have. years. Yep. It's Jarus. Okay. Jarus. Um, silent Z and it's like as if it's a US like yeah. Jarus. Everyone says Jesse Jarus. Yeah, that's what so, I've been saying. Jarus. Yeah. So he and his wife and awesome two kids came uh, back from the show and they came through here. They stayed a whole day like hanging out in the shop with us. We had lunch. We hung out. You know, my uh, in-laws have like a stock tank that we've turned into a pool Went and hung out there, let the kids get in there. And that was really fun because I've probably talked to him a total of like 20 minutes prior yeah. to that, but I could tell we had a lot in common and he's got a one and a three-year-old and I have a one and a three-year-old. Uh, so yeah. we got them together and it was just, just gelled. You know what I mean? I so love it, it man. It was really That's cool. great. Yeah. Where is he from? He's from Midwest, Nebraska. Right? Okay. And he moved to Montana, Kalispell, Montana, like six ish years ago. Oh, nice. And that's where he's out of now, but nice man. Yeah. Beautiful part of the country up there. I love it. Yeah. I've known Jesse for a long time. Same thing. Like we've, I feel like we spent time together at shows like kind of early on. And then you, as shows go, you, you start to like build little networks and that's like, you know, you mm -hmm. start to like kind of hang out with different groups yeah. and stuff. So, and it's he, nice he, seeing him do well. He's talking about you and the, the kind of the posse that, that used to be next uh, to each other at like the gathering and stuff yeah. and Tom crying and whatnot. He was, Dude. So he had a few stories. So, uh, with me not doing seaside that that's the shift. So I, I had some work started. Um, so I'm going to do USN this year. Awesome, dude. Uh, I actually very excited about it. USN for me was like a very formative show. I did the first, I think 10 in a row. Um, and it was a it was a really interesting process because USN Forum, right? Usual Suspects Network, back when forums were like the main popular social context for like knives, that really gave me like my first kind of bump um, in the industry where I was having like a lot of eyes on my work and like starting to like learn about developing community and and kind of growing a customer base. So as that show rolled into the USN network, like USN show, um, a lot of makers had like a pre-existing kind of customer base. And if not people you'd met in person, at least people who knew your screen name and had context. And I can't even begin to tell you how valuable that is. Mm -hmm. um, so due to just life, like it's, it's the last few years have been spotty for me. But I'm very, very excited uh, yeah. to go and just like no. same thing. Go visit. I haven't been there yet. I really want to. That's wild to yeah. me. I was talking to Jesse about it. He has an amazing story about how he got his start in the knife industry revolving around USN. Dude. And it was like the beginning for him. And I I really am tempted to tell it right now, but I would butcher it. So I think we should someday get him on here and have That's him tell idea. that story. I love it. it he told me the story. I was like, man, that is one of the better like origin stories I've heard. And, and it re regards to USN. So. All right. Yeah. we got to hear that. On That's here. fun. Maybe we can do that. Maybe we can like do a, like a recap. Is he doing the show this year? The USN. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So maybe we can do like, maybe we can do like a little triplisode or something and, yeah. and we can do a recap of the show. Yeah. That would be fun. Sound fun. Yeah. Um, sweet, man. Of course, if he wants to do it. 
I guess he'll, I think he listens to this. So maybe he's listening when we uh, cut this out and like, absolutely none. I don't want to be on your guys' crappy (laughs) podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We, we should, I think it'd be fun to bring a few people on. Yeah. Um, We need to figure out how to do that. It was cool. It was really fun talking with Michael because you see like some of the, like I saw some of the context of this like roll into it and I'm not an interviewer. I'm, I'm, it's not a skill set that I have. And so I have no idea how that will turn out, mm-hmm. but I, but I did, I was able to like link it back into like our conversations, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah. makes me want to do more of it. Yeah. We got to um, we'll get people on dude. We got to start. think, man, you and I, we've been going so fast. Um, one thing. So we've talked about, we've talked about like monetizing the pod and like some various methods of doing that. Um, I figured out a solution for us for um, merch mm-hmm. for both some design and some fulfillment originating in the same place. Just wanted to drop that as a teaser. Cause yeah. I think that basically you and I are pretty busy right now. We know that we want to do this, but we're, we're also having a hard time making it like the top priority. Yeah. yeah. So I think I figured out at least one, one small solution okay. to us, like, you know, maybe getting a website and some baseball caps or something. Yeah. It's, so. it's, it's gotta happen. <laughs> I, I really mean, wanted to. Yeah. I, I enjoy the podcast so much that, I mean, even though we don't have time, like it's, yeah. it's, it's core, maybe not in an economic way or not at all in an economic yeah, yeah. way right now, but it, to me it is core to like a normal week for me to yeah. sit and hang out Same. and talk. Well, and that's, you know, the keeping, keeping our engagement with it, really the areas that we enjoy, I think probably long run yeah. is, is how we keep it rolling. Yep. Yep. Um, and if, yeah, if we got bogged down in like the business of it, I think it, I think it would damage it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you and I are both interested in the process of monetization for mm-hmm. like something like a podcast, just yeah. from a learning standpoint. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, I, I did have, it's a completely uh, you know, total tangent, but, um, it did occur to me, I had mentioned someone commented, they liked our talk about coolant and the conversation we had about keeping coolant quality up oh, and replacing okay. coolant. I did find something out this week that it maybe just could add to that conversation. Okay. Uh, the coolant in my machine that I replaced because the old stuff was foaming immediately foamed again. I found out what actually was happening. Okay. The sight glass that I have either was clogged or had limited flow or had like some sort of surface tension bubble in it to where it wasn't accurate. And so oh. it, it would appear full, but it was just low enough. The style has a pretty, because it's wide and shallow, the tank, it, it has a pretty small margin for evaporation where the uh, pump sucks, sucks a little bit of air. And if it sucks just a little bit of air, you still have coolant pressure, but like it starts to foam the coolant itself. And so I realized that as I was refilling it, I was checking the sight glass, I was refilling it. And I was like, that sight glass is wrong. Cause I could see the coolant in the port where I was filling it and it didn't match the sight glass. And that was the issue. So, Ooh. Um, so my brain just went on like a little exploratory mission of like how, okay. Could you do like, could you do like a two gallon reservoir with like essentially like a siphon or like a ball valve to where when it drains, it refills, but now you have visual confirmation of the main t- of like your sort, sort of like, like a sump. Yeah. Like your yeah. little secondary sump or yeah. something, or 
you being smart enough to probably figure this out, can you like do a little sensor that just tells you, okay, I'm dry? (laughs) That actually would be probably not too hard to do that. But what, what I ended up doing is like the only way to see the coolant is to open a port that's like four bolts with like a uh, lock washers. So it's oh, not yeah, like, you like that. Just... Well, what I'm going to do is cause it's just a round hole and you, I, I was going to 3d print just a lid oh. that sits, sits in the round hole instead okay. of having it like bolted shut. That way I can just look in there and Oh, it's just... okay. It's not something that is like containing fluid or anything. No, it's on top. Yeah. It's like the top of the tank is okay. there's no like orifice oh, to look yeah. into. That yeah. makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, I was just going to do that and maybe even have like a little gauge that's actually physically in the tank near the pump so that there's no worry of just like trusting a secondary system or like the sight glass. Yeah. And the sight glass would, could probably be cleaned and get it working again. And again, this is never like a major problem, but, um, just a little process improvement would kind of solve pretty all this. good. I'm still dealing with coolant problems. Um, mm-hmm. I'm getting ready to order. I'm just going to order a zebra, co- the new zebra coalescer. Mm-hmm. Here, here's the thought process. Basically I can order a $130 pump, but I'm putting it into a 10 year old system. Mm-hmm. When I looked at what zebra has now, their system has actually changed. Mm-hmm. And so for a thousand dollars, my brain is like, just get the next system. Cause it's already lasted you a decade and start fresh assuming Mm -hmm. that the changes they've made have been improvements in its functioning Mm -hmm. even though i could just get the pump for 130 dollars yeah that's always a tough decision man upgrade or or maintain i know because it's not like it i'm trying to be really good about not buying equipment that doesn't essentially increase profit or create a product um, let me ask you is, this, yeah. your old zebra system, what yep. floor space does it take up? It's small. So I would say t- less than 24 inches in diameter, maybe like mm-hmm. 15 inches in diameter. This is why we use it. I was going to say, I'm going to have to do some thinking. If you do want a new one and you want to okay. get rid of the old one, okay. I might consider interesting buying you out of it. Cause and that's the thing is the argument should be that you <laughs> who are doing far more machining than I am probably would benefit from the new one. Well, I, well, I agree with that. I wonder <laughs> if the, one of the biggest benefits of the coalescer is for when you're not using the machine. Uh, or do you think it is? Yeah, that's the benefit. Mm. Right. So does yours. Okay. Do you have a lot of like, like tramp oil or like whey oil that like so gets in your coolant? I do have to credit Sile the engineering behind the way that the whey oil flows in that thing. Oh, I think you mentioned this results yeah. in almost non-existent whey oil. In okay. The like, naturally. so, so yeah, the big benefit for me in this system was actually just the recirculation of the coolant. Mm. Like there's a million yeah. ways you could figure this out to be easy. Um, but it keeps my coolant really clean and it, and it never starts to mildew because it's basically, I have it on a timer it runs like four times a day and it just is putting oxygen and cleaning the tramp oil, which what the tramp oil builds up on the surface and then bacteria grows. Mm -hmm. And so between keeping my coolant running like clean and fresh and making it last longer, it's a pretty big win. So yeah, yeah, if, if I do get a new one, you can just have my old one and just order a pump and then at least let it lets you prove the concept. Right. Um, and then I'll probably hand deliver it. 
<laughs> there you just go. so I can visit. <laughs> it's really <Yep>. expensive. <laughs> Sounds good. You you can help me uh, blow out a wall so I can fit twenty four more inches of equipment in. <laughs> oh, just you. you yeah, what's the system? You need to go down. You're like yeah. boring holes in your concrete. Yeah, right. Where where are you at space? So I saw it. I'll preface this by saying like I have space used inefficiently um right now. And I know this. And as I've been, as I'm like refining back into how I can do more production, I'm looking at it almost the same way I'm looking at tool purchases, which is the jobs that are efficient deserve space. And then everything else is kind of, I need to like figure out a different solution for Mm -hmm. So like, I'm pretty spread out and I don't have a ton of space. Mm -hmm. You are running very efficiently. Are you a hundred percent maxed out or on it, on buying equipment? We're a hundred percent maxed out. Honestly, like, unless you don't want to be able to walk in the shop at all anymore, there's not, what's that overrated. I think a sling system, you could just like slide around the ceiling. Like a, like a, like a sky crane inside there and you just lift it over. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. No, I mean, right now the efficiency gains I see ahead of us space wise is we have, because we are doing the 25 to 50 piece batches. The reason I said those two numbers is I have trays that hold exactly 25 knives Okay. And they can be in various stages. We have a kind of a color system too. It's perfect. And we we have a lot of those bins and we actually don't have anywhere to put those. So my dream would be to have like a row of shelves where you have like all the all the bins on this shelf are knives that are heat treated but unfinished. Yeah. And this shelf, we don't have room for that. Um, but what I want to do is I do have shelves up high that are like kind of just storage that you wouldn't really want to put knives up there, but I want to hang one row of shelves below that around the shop so that it's almost like 270 degrees in the shop would be like yeah. the slot for those like trays to just slide in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so going up is kind of the way to go. But the only reason is they take up all our bench space right now because we need to get them out all the time and they end up covering the benches with just boxes and knives. Right. Um, that is, that's one thing that I've worked in all of my shops to do, which is don't, I don't like, I don't like vertical shelving because you are reducing the amount of potential bench space you have. Mm -hmm. I think for the small shop, oftentimes the best variation is so bench height tables that perimeter the wall cabinets above that drawers or shelving underneath Mm -hmm. Adam Savage would probably disagree with like the drawers concept because he likes first order retrievability. So, and his concept is essentially, or like thought process around it, I think is kind of like, if you don't see it, it takes more time or like, it's like, you won't so use a lot of either. the stuff that he has, it's like open shelving or like open racks where you can mm-hmm. see all the tools and don't have to like go in and dig around. Um, I still like to be able to put things away. And I think that's yeah. just like my brain wanting like order. Yeah. And then center of the room, same thing. Like, if if a table fits in a space but has no storage under the table, I think that yeah. is a waste. Yes. Yeah, right? I agree. Which is why like I use the like big toolboxes and I put them back to back and I make tabletops on them and stuff. Yeah, that's perfect. I mean, so underneath our benches, a couple of my benches are like metal toolboxes, the mm-hmm. drawer style, and those are used up. And then the two two or three benches I have that Mac 
basically it's the maximum amount of benches I could fit in that shop. They are fully utilized underneath. I think above, like you just mentioned, cabinets above the benches, that's where I'm not set up well yet. Yeah. Uh, that's the next area for sure. But as far as anything that actually sits on the floor that needs yeah. accessed, it's those days are gone. Like so I can't fit it anything else. There's like, I always love like some of the old, um, like how to plan a shop mm. books. They're always around carpentry, but I love like some of the tools. It's like, okay, on this bench, we have, uh, a, you know, a bench grinder on a panel and then you flip that panel. And on the other side is like a different tool. Yep. That stuff to me is always like, cause there's a bunch of stuff that, especially in my case, less so in yours, I'm like I don't use it all, all the time or like even frequently, but when I need it, I 100% need it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, that doesn't actually deserve to take up workspace. Yeah. Yeah. It's second order available. It's like, yeah, yeah. but you're, it's there when you need it. I don't want to have to like go dig it out. Those are, put that. I wrote myself a note yesterday, which was like production, like production in itself or, or making in, in the concept of like what I'm looking at is, is kind of an exercise in mindfulness. And so a lot of times I find an improvement or something that I think of related to it in the moment. And then I go do that thing. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm really trying to do is like, no, no, like, when you're producing like that is the mindful exercise you can take the note you can like remember to do the thing but i can't stop and make the improvement midstream while i'm working yeah. and i have yeah. to fight it constantly same yeah it, it, it becomes like a, a slippery slope because yeah. you'll be like you know i never really cleaned up that air fitting area right there like yeah before i sandblast before i turn the compressor on i might as well do that and then pretty yeah. soon you're like you know, I should have a drop that goes out this corner. So probably just do that. And then you go to the hardware store and then, yeah, yeah, you're done. I mean, like yep. even this morning I was like, oh, I was a sandblasting. I'm like, oh, I should clean the filter for my sandblaster. And I 100% should, but I had five pieces left and that those five pieces going into the tumbler, that's actually the work that needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I was just looking at it from that standpoint and kind of like trying to refine back that's mm-hmm. how shop improvements are, man. It's so hard. Yeah. Because there's yeah. always a million things that will make it better or like more satisfying. You can either make tools or you can make money. <laughs> Unless you make tools for money and then you can do both. Right. Right. I, I want to get back. We need to get back to this like success for knife makers conversation. I feel like it, it's like multiple episodes because I keep having these experiences that are showing these like vastly different levels of like what success is kind of from like a personal standpoint and like mm-hmm. how other people perceive it for themselves. There's like a level in there that's, that would be like success is being able to work on whatever I want to work on, but then being able to stop and improve anything else. Yeah. It's like I'm making a knife, but now I want to build a shelf. Yeah. Cause if you could do that, like there's some level of success that is existing probably. You have flexibility to the extent that you aren't stuck on the rails in a sense. Yeah. Like sense. if you looked at that inside of a company, like what is that job? Like 
because someone needs to yeah. make improvements. Yeah. But it would be weird. Like imagine you scale to the point where you're not like, you're not necessary in the manufacturing of a knife. Do you then just become like a handyman kind yeah. of because you're like, I'm going to build a shelf that you guys are going to love. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, don't, I want that guy in my shop. Oh, I would like that guy. I, oh, I didn't it, thought of that. It, it did remind me. I got to say, uh, this is just a cautionary tale that has nothing to do with us, but maybe a little bit to do with us. Ooh, if you want to hear this crazy yeah. story. So my brother-in-law that does my surface grinding, he works for Micron, like the Micron, you know, the computers, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. They make microchips. So Boise is their R&D headquarters. Okay. And massive campus. I mean, hundreds of acres, like just you, you could work there your whole life and someone else could work there their whole life and you'd never meet them, you know, like that big. It's an entire Um, civilization. Yeah, exactly. And so he works, he manages the gas distribution because they, in all those processes, they use like 25 different, like volatile gases and like highly purified gases. And so he's in charge of like maintaining, fixing, and like monitoring those things. Um, and he said that they had a heck of a week this week where another guy who was working there, um, there's some gas, I'm not going to remember the name. It's like Cylion or like, man, that's, I butchered it, but it's something similar to that where he said, if it reaches atmospheric pressure and is exposed to the atmosphere, it immediately ignites. He said Uh there, there doesn't require a spark because it's fuel and oxidizer together. And when it reaches atmospheric pressure, it just immediately turns into flame. And so he said that it's used obviously in the, in the computer chip stuff and it distributes to like 80 different machines from this one core tank. And a guy was working on it and he supposedly like opened the wrong line, like spun the wrong lock nut or whatever. And the system is really intelligent in that it senses flame and it locks like 50 different ball valves instantaneously. If it sees any sensation of flame. So maybe 30, 30 seconds of flame, the thing shuts down. But the purification requirements on that gas are like in the parts per billion, he said. And so all of the downstream lines now have like particulate from flame from like it burning. Oh. So they they had 80 machines go down on in the fab. They call it the fab where they make the, the circuits and stuff. And he said like it's on the order of like hundreds of thousands of dollars in losses per hour. And it's like they're flying out like corporate CEOs and stuff for like putting together like a crisis team and all this stuff. And he said, it's been interesting, but just be happy that we've built a business where you can't turn the wrong nut. And like you have $30 million worth of damage. (laughs) Dude, I don't even understand that. Like the amount of times I've probably pushed like the wrong switch, Mm -hmm. like my service grinder, it, it's crummy to accidentally push the power feed before I push like the traverse or whatever. That seems at that scale, that seems like a massive oversight. Like you don't want to have one pet cock that is like between you and certain doom. Yeah. Yep. So I know that's a total tangent, but we were just talking about our processes and our design of our shop and improving airlines and stuff. And it just, that happened this week. So I got to check out, uh, I got to check out two very cool shops recently. And this is like, uh, this is one of my favorite parts about traveling. I think, um, maker wise is so when we were up in Portland, um, 
Dan Matsuda is there, um, who has a soft goods company called Sample. Um, dude is so talented. And seeing the layout of his shop was eye-opening because they're they're really small it's another it's like a home-based kind of business and you know works with his his wife and soft goods are interesting because they're so different than what we do Mm -hmm. from a process standpoint but the the layout and the efficiency it really like is exciting to me i don't know why it seems very like parallel kind of um if if you're not familiar with him, definitely check him yeah, out. Um, yeah. It's on Instagram. He's sidetrack one fifty. Okay, dude, it, awesome, super cool stuff. He does these. He does these backpacks. Like he'll repurpose rice bags and build like these crazy technical backpacks. Um, all kinds of organizers, just like very cool stuff. And he's, you know, he's playing with lasers and and you know automation and three D printing and like all the stuff that like we're doing. And it's, and it's cool to see like that our thought processes and like the things that we're struggling with applied to different, um, materials. Um, mm-hmm. he is also like you, he's a CAD beast, which just infuriates me. You know, <laughs> like, oh, it's, it's so good. You guys would probably have a lot to talk about. Yeah, and then that's... second shop, I got to check out this one. This one is like very relatable, um, is McLean Metalworks who is here in bend. Um, that's my buddy, Chris. They do, they do a few things. They do like McLean Metalworks does, um, like shop products kind of stuff. Like he's been building these, these tray systems for like the, the, the plastic bins that we use, um, organizing stuff like that. But they also build Overland hammocks Hmm. that are like hitch mount hammocks. um, Dude, he's got to have one of the cleanest shops I've ever seen from really? a metalworking shop. And he's got like in there, he's got fabrication, powder coating, like they're doing everything. But you go in and you just see that it's all workflow. When you come visit, I was going to say next time, but you haven't been here. When you come visit, maybe we'll go check out his shop. I think you yes. really like it. Yes. Yes. Um, so I, I love dude, being exposed to other manufacturing spheres. Dude. I, I love going to knife maker shops, but there is a part of me that almost enjoys something out there even yeah. more because it's like, I'm going to be surprised a lot more, I think. And you know, what can we take from someone else? Like Micron has a machine shop that I want to see. And he told me he could show it to me, but yeah. I haven't done it yet. Well, and then there's like, there's, there's like the scale thing too, because like at a point you're just like, it's almost unrelatable. It's like alien. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He was, he was saying their machine shop, it's not even on like the ground floor, not even on concrete right. and they've got a million pounds of machines, but it's like <sighs> the floor is like tiles that are so big that like a actual mill can sit on it, like a huge mill. And so all yeah. their air, air and powers run like under the tiles and they can like lift a tile out and like reconfigure the room with air. And, and it's like, dude, but imagine that's like your first experience with shops yeah. and you're yeah. like, okay, how do I do this? Yeah. Like, it's nice to have the scalable elements and like the tie-ins, but I, I 100% agree that seeing, seeing how other industries use similar process is I think long-term like pretty valuable because the stuff just gets like stored away Yeah. or you see a tool that's like a support tool that you don't have and don't have a reason for. 
and, but then you see it in use and you're like, I didn't even know that existed. And it just mm-hmm. exists there. It's like, I think for, as a maker, that's probably why I go into like, like IMTS, um, or one of those other like big machine shows is so valuable. It's because mm-hmm. you just walk aisles and you're like, Oh, I didn't know that existed. Like, Oh, yeah. what's that measurement tool? Um, yeah. and, and even if you don't need it now or you don't visualize a use, like just for five years down the road, when you have a problem and you're like, there is a machine for this that I have seen, I know it exists. Yes. And then you know that it's like, it's findable at that point. It's findable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to go to a machine show like that. Like IMTS. That's on my might bucket be, list. That might be, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about a potential multi-day downshift mm-hmm. opportunity. That sounds pretty fun. Maybe IMTS or something like that would be something that we could justify doing Yeah, through the lens of, I mean, we have like multiple lenses, but like through the yeah. lens of the podcast and <laughs> research. Right. right. <laughs> I know. No, that'd be, that'd be a fun time. I'd really enjoy pretty it. Pretty good. It's like um, shot show, but not shot show. Yeah, man. Um, what else? This is, we are, we are like out of flow in a certain way because we both have just been like crunching on a million different things mm-hmm. and we haven't had like topic kind of topical yeah. podcast in a while. Um, do we do a short one or do we like, do we have more stuff to talk about? Um, let me, let me gloss over the last month. Cause that's when we haven't talked. I th- yeah. think, I think we've covered it. Um, other than real quick, let's talk just briefly about the sheath just so that I have at least some yeah. ideas on the turn sheath. Yep. Um, I have set up the sport for basically any clip someone would want to put on it. I want to yep. do a similar thing. Um, what I want to have inventoried is the option between a ulti clip or a small tech lock. Yep. Um, because it allows horizontal and also vertical if you want that to yep. on your belt. Um, I was kind of thinking of rolling it out with those options and I was curious what you thought. I think that's great. I think that covers, that covers actually all necessary things because you can do it in pocket. You can clip it inside of a backpack pocket, or you can use tech lock and orient, um, mm-hmm on a pack strap, on gear, on belt, whatever. I did have a customer say that he did. I don't have a mummer clip here, but he did put a mummer clip on an Overland Sport. Yeah. Um, I don't know that's if that's what he ended up using, but that's he said he just confirmed that it did fit. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of mummer clips in general. Mm-hmm. Um, as we're talking about it, like I think it would be it would be a good option, mm-hmm. but it's an expensive like inline. Yeah, yeah, I agree. They're very, very cool, but they're like essentially handmade in the U.S. and they're pricey. Yeah. Um, I was considering on my website, I've been breaking it down into more categorical store pages because I'm getting enough stuff on there. I am going to add a category, I think, that's like parts and accessories. Yeah. Because I'm getting to where there's things like that where I'd love to throw it in, but it's going to get cluttered. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I would, it'd be cool to just have it on like parts and accessories, mummer clip. Well, and I think that's, that's a great idea too, because then you get, um, you get like the upgrade ability. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I think options in that format are like very, very cool. Yeah. So, I mean, let's order some mummer clips then. Yeah. When you do the run drop 10 or something. Yeah. In accessories. That'd That'd be great. Um, 
man, I'm trying to think if there's anything else going on. Dude, it's just, it's whirlwind. I drive, I'm leaving Saturday to go get my dad. Um, so that has occupied like a lot of mm-hmm. time. Um, we're kind of on the home stretch of that. Yeah. We've been getting a room ready for them and trying to like dial in like services and all this stuff. It's mm-hmm. like, it is a lot of pieces lot. to put together. Well, this may be the last time we talk before you peel out and yeah. go on that adventure. And I got to say, just good luck to you, man. Thanks, and, dude. Uh, you're doing good work. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a noble cause to, yeah, to we're, take we're, we're, we're super excited. He's, mm-hmm. he's very excited. Um, weird, like side note. And I don't even know if this is like pod, whatever. I'm just going to throw it out. So planning as it is right. Like for a long time, I tried to get him to be like, Hey, at this point, I would like to come live with you. Never. We could never start that conversation. Right. Turns out. So in the last like month, he ended up, he got pneumonia and he ended up in the hospital from the hospital. He ended up going to a rehab, but in the rehab, they basically made the decision that he is not capable of living 100% on his own. Mm. What I thought was so interesting about this was that regardless of the plan that we've had now for at least a couple months, had he not made that decision, we still would have ended up in the exact same Mm. place. I don't know if like he sent something coming down the line or what, mm. but I just, I was like, that's crazy to that, me. That does speak to his character on his ability to sense that. Cause I think that's not on, it's, un, it's common for people not to uh, sense it and then acknowledge it when right. that, maybe that's coming. Of course, this is a rabbit hole, but like, I that's, know that's cool that he was aware. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like a trust your gut thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's within a couple month period. Like, so yeah. whatever was going on, he was like, that's probably a good time. Yeah. So yeah, man. Yeah. Um, last thing, uh, I'm going to be shooting right past you. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I don't know if maybe we can grab lunch or something. This um, right? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe yeah. depending Absolutely. on time and where you're at and how, yeah. what, what we can do. Yeah. Yep. Um, cool. That would be sweet. All right, guys. Um, thank you for listening. TJ, I'm excited to see the turn. Uh, Try to send you a picture by no later than mid morning tomorrow. That's my goal. All right. And uh, (laughs) we should, we should be good to record next week. So thanks for listening guys. Stay safe. Thank you all. Peace.